You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome to the Health Hub on Radio Maria Canada, exploring cutting-edge health and wellness information and therapies, helping you to take your health to the next level. I am your host, Kathy Biasse, and I am a holistic nutritionist and a professional cancer coach. This week on our show, we have returning Dr. Deanna Minnick. Dr. Minnick was part of a team that did a deep scientific and clinical dive into melatonin. And together they shared their findings in a 40-page review article entitled Melatonin, The Next Vitamin D, a review of emerging science, clinical uses, safety, and dietary supplements. And this was published in the Nutrients Journal. Dr. Minnick is a PhD and she's a health educator, a researcher, and author with more than 20 years of experience in nutrition, mind-body health, and functional medicine. Her passion is bringing forth a colorful whole self approach to nourishment and bridging the gaps between science, soul, art, and art in medicine. Really fascinating conversation today with Dr. Minnick. I'm so happy that she took the time to go over this article with us. Uh, Melatonin has been popping up a lot more readily in the health space, and this article really helps to elucidate functions of melatonin, um, clinical applications, supplementations, very, very fascinating. And it is very, it's a very uh, easy article to read. So if you're interested at all, um, I highly suggest that you, you go to it and read it. But very, very easy to read and really gives you such an in-depth uh, understanding but it also leaves a lot of questions, and that's what we talk about as well. So much that they've learned, yet so much left to learn. Um, to give you three learning points would be, you know, it wouldn't be enough. But we, we talk about melatonin and the aging brain, gut health, mitochondrial function, the connection between vitamin D and melatonin, and supplementing with melatonin. A really important conversation. I hope you stick with us, everybody. We'll be back to talk with Dr. Minnick in just a few minutes.
Dr. Minnick, welcome to the show. It's such a pleasure having you back. Great to be back, Kathy. Thanks for having me. The paper, I, I just found, I love to do research. I love reading um, all of this stuff. And the paper that you did with uh, the other submitters it was terrific to me. Um, mm-hmm. But melatonin, how does that cross with your interest in plants? <laughs> well, that that's a very good question. Um, so melatonin has been on my radar, I would say, over the past couple of years, especially with COVID. And there's there's been a lot of talk in the nutritional space around, you know, what do you do for your immune system? And so, of course, we know vitamin C, vitamin E, zinc, all of those things have come up in the in the media and the literature. The other one that came up was melatonin, which piqued my interest. And that got me going down the rabbit hole of trying to understand a little bit about melatonin, which is actually a hormone, but it's a lot more. And then I realized it's an amazing compound. It's uh, it's from plants. It's in our daily diet. And I would even contend that it's a nutrient. So I would say, and I'm also working with a company that has a number of plant-based products. And this one in particular is a plant melatonin. So all of these things coalesced into me getting um, just in in that whole space of looking at the research of melatonin, what it does, how do you dose it, where do you find it, and what is it good for? And uh, that's what we addressed in that article. It was it really was wonderful. And it was I mean, everybody, you could read that article. It's very well laid out. Um, it just elucidates so many important things. That I really hope we have time to get to Um but okay, so plants have melatonin. Does the function of melatonin in plants similar to what we do or what we no, use it for? No, it's interesting. And uh, this was another um, just a little tidbit that I learned in doing the paper. So in plants, uh, melatonin is a growth factor, which means that it's very protective in the plant and it gets that plant to make other phytochemicals. And that's really what I've been focused on for these past, uh, I would say, decades is looking into all of these different phytonutrients that we're taking in our diet. So melatonin is like that uh, growth factor, that kind of stimulating compound in plants that gets the plant to produce certain of these very healthful components for us as humans when we eat that plant. Uh, it's also an antioxidant, which is you know, intriguing, you know, so many things are antioxidants, but melatonin is very different in its capacity as an antioxidant for humans. Uh, it likes water, it likes fat, it can cross the blood brain barrier, it's more potent than vitamin C as a result, because vitamin C likes water and not fat. So, you know, in plants, that's another, 
um, potential use is serving as a protective antioxidant and growth factor. When I read about the plants and the melatonin in plants, my first thought, and I don't, I, you know, this is going to be an interview jumping all over the place because it's just so fascinating. Plants, melatonin, the phytochemicals are gut. Um, I just, I, it, that was just a, a natural connection for me. Is there an association between the plant melatonin, the foods that we eat from plants and our gut, our gut health, how the microbiome uses these plants? Mm, yeah, that's a great question. And that's an emerging area of research is what I found out that so, you know, we're learning a lot about plant compounds like polyphenols and how the gut microbiome breaks those polyphenols down. And it looks like the gut produces its own melatonin. So it's a different melatonin that we might take in from the diet or that is produced by the pineal gland in response to darkness. So the the gut is making neurotransmitters. It's making hormones. It does make melatonin. It uses that melatonin locally. And what I would say from doing the the research review is that there are two different conditions uh, as it relates to gut health where melatonin might be a good idea depending on somebody's um, personalized needs and connection with their healthcare practitioner, of course. But that would be looking at things like GERD, so gastroesophageal reflux disease, and also looking at uh, IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. There might be some application or some association there. Um, but again, best to work with a healthcare practitioner who understands melatonin, who <laughs> understands one's needs. And there are so many things that we can be doing for our gut, for sure. And I do think that the gut-brain access is particularly interesting uh, as it relates to melatonin. Is there a connection between the pineal gland production of melatonin and the gut, or is that yet to be discovered? Mm. Well, the pineal gland, uh, which is in the brain, produces melatonin at night. Well, actually, during darkness, we have to be in complete darkness to produce melatonin. And that melatonin is required for our circadian rhythm balance. So, I mean, we could say, yes, it's connected to the gut because everything in the body is connected to circadian Mm -hmm. rhythm. You know, when our hormones are produced, um, when certain nutrients are more well absorbed, you know, we're, we're a species that is run by the sun. So the, the daylight hours, the nighttime hours, that's all very relevant. And we're learning more about that as we learn about intermittent fasting. We learn about clock genes. We learn about seasonal foods. You know, there's always a reason for that circadian rhythm. So I would say, yes, there is a connection. Um, it, for, it needs further elucidation. But of course, you know, the circadian rhythm is important for, for everybody. Um, and it's something that's being looked at more and more, which is good. Absolutely. Now, is melatonin then in the just the two areas or are we finding or have you found it's it's uh, a pervasive in our body in so many places in our body um it's in so many different body organs so you know uh just in fact i would say it's probably in more places in our body than it isn't and one of the places, Kathy, that I find really interesting that it localizes and concentrates is the mitochondria. And as some of your listeners might know, the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. It's what makes energy for our cell. And when we start to get 
issues with toxic burden, when we have things like uh, immune issues, many times the mitochondria is implicated. You know, it's that huge metabolic hub. So it's very high in mito- in uh, melatonin. So there has been, uh, yeah, it, there, there's been some suggestion. And even if we look at the mechanisms of melatonin, we can see that it's a mitochondrial regular and it has a role in aging. Now, one of the things that's interesting, though, to your question about like, you know, where is melatonin? It's in plants, it's in animals, our bodies make it. But after a certain point through our lifespan, we stop making so much melatonin. You know how a lot of the other hormones come down like estrogen, progesterone, we might see testosterone come down, cortisol becomes dysfunctional. Uh, Well, melatonin is in that same camp. So by the time we hit our mid 50s, we're starting to bottom out. And then we get even further bottomed out into the sixth, sixth and seventh decades. And uh, but but what we see is that early in life, children and on into teens, um, they're making some of the highest levels of melatonin. But then that starts to decline. Well, isn't a natural decline in pretty much everything in our body, something to be expected. This is a question I ask a lot of people. So estrogen comes down, uh, melatonin comes down. Is this always a negative or is this a regulation of our body to what is needed? And and what I'm getting at here is, uh, do we need to pump ourselves full of hormones as they're coming down or are we doing a disservice to what the body is trying to do? Mm, well, that's a, <laughs> that's a million dollar question, really. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, the literature has been mixed and it just depends, I, I would say, what kind of hormone we're talking about. If we're mm-hmm. talking about synthetic hormones and just pumping the body with a bunch of synthetic hormones and not changing lifestyle, not changing food, diet, then what are we trying to do? You know, that's just a drop in the ocean of every different reaction that that is occurring in our bodies. So I think it's more complicated than that. And um, one of the things that I learned in doing this review is that 99% of the melatonin supplements that are on the market are synthetic. And as a result of that synthetic process, what can happen is that we get the inclusion of some adulterants. So I always think about that. You know, if people are taking hormones or they're taking natural products, I mean, even something like vitamin D, And in the article, we talk about vitamin D and Mm -hmm. melatonin, that there might be a link between them. I mean, anything that we're taking, we should know the purity. But just to keep put this in perspective again, melatonin is is not just a hormone, just like vitamin D is not just a vitamin. It seems that there is some crosstalk between them. And because of their many other mechanisms, there are more than a hormone. You know, they're, they're antioxidants. They help with immune function. They're mitochondrial regulators. They help with circadian rhythm. And because we have melatonin produced in several parts of the body, all kind of doing potentially different functions, uh, you know, there's a little bit more nuance to the question than mm-hmm. just, you know, should we be taking melatonin? Now, should children be taking melatonin? I don't think that that is a good idea because melatonin has been pigeonholed into just taking it if you're sleeping poorly or if you need to get to sleep, take more melatonin. And that sometimes that's to the exclusion of really looking at, well, why is somebody sleeping poorly? Like, let's look at the root cause because again, children tend to have some of the highest levels of melatonin than they're ever going to have in their lives. So is just having more melatonin the, the, the solution. And I don't think we have enough data to suggest that. 
No, that's an excellent point. Now, is melatonin uh, blood serum? Can it be um, uh, the levels? Mm-hmm. Can they be garnered from uh, a blood draw? Yeah, yeah, it can. Uh, typically, what you see is uh, saliva, blood, and urine. And urine is probably the most well. It, it's easy to do, and uh, it's often done, and it does correlate nicely with blood measurements. So people tend to do urine. You know, I, I think it's complicated when we think about testing because, um, again, melatonin is only produced in darkness. So if you take your measurement during the day or as the the day is turning into night, you may have very different levels than what you might be producing in absolute darkness. In fact, in the article, we even talk about how people have a darkness deficiency. Mm-hmm. They don't have enough darkness. I mean, maybe we need to start there first and look at what are we exposing ourselves to late at night? And is that changing our hormone levels? Because if we're changing melatonin, we're changing cortisol, we're changing mm-hmm. test. They're all interconnected, right? At least in the, in the hormone web. So yeah. I, I do think we have to look at darkness deficiency. We have to look at... Um, you know, how we can optimize our lifestyle to fit the environment, fit the season and our personalized needs better. Are the melatonin production centers other than in the pineal gland, are they also affected by light and darkness? The one in the pineal gland is the one affected by darkness. Um, the, The type of melatonin that's made in the gut is not responsive to darkness. It's responsive to appetite. So, you know, traditionally, if you have a meal, you tend to produce more melatonin after that meal in the localized intestinal cells. And I don't fully, I, I can't see the, all the dots connecting yet as to like, why does the gut need so, me- so much melatonin or why is so much melatonin produced after a meal? Um, but it's the pineal gland specifically. So the gland in the brain that is the one that is responsive to darkness. Okay, so this leads to another, my, my brain is just going all over the place. So we know serotonin is in the gut. Now we know melatonin is yeah. in the gut. We know there's a connection between the, you know, the, the brain makes melatonin. This gut brain access has to be something that, um, you know, all of these things that you bring up in the article, PCOS, cardiac health. Mm-hmm. What about brain health and this connection? Absolutely. There is a connection to cognition. um, And there's even a connection, if we connect the dots further, between cognition and sleep, and then also risk for dementia. So looking at cognition, there's also a connection to the nervous system overall. Looking at eye health, there's some very interesting developments there because... Actually, even before the the um, pineal gland, it's the retina, it's the eye, it's the back of the eye that receives the light that then programs the uh, uh, one particular part of the brain that stimulates that pineal gland to produce melatonin. So that's why some people are using blue light blocking glasses mm-hmm. at night, right? To filter out some of that blue light, which can be very toxic. You know, that's the kind of light that we see on screens, on the computer, on our phones, on an iPad. And that stops the body at night from producing melatonin. So, um, but during the day, it's good. You know, we don't need so much melatonin produced by the pineal gland during the day. We, we could become sleepy um, if our pineal gland started mm-hmm. to produce that. But yes, back to your question about cognition, brain health, absolutely. Um, 
And again, thinking of the connection with the mitochondria, right? Our energy powerhouses, you know, the immune system um, and the brain interface is also an interesting one. And I think, again, when melatonin started to come up in discussions during the pandemic, when we started to look at, well, why is this? Well, it's a very potent antioxidant. And further to immune indications, what you see is even autoimmune diseases and melatonin are being looked at. So multiple sclerosis, Hashimoto, Hashimoto's thyroiditis are being looked at. So I think broad application because it's it's doing so many things in the body. And you know, again, many people start to focus just on its um, function as a hormone, but it is doing a lot. It's an intriguing molecule for sure. It's an intriguing paper because there's no <laughs> way that I knew I could get all my questions in. And as you're talking, things are popping up like the connection um, to breast cancer, to PCOS. Mm-hmm. Are we talking about insulin resistance? Are we talking about uh, the, you know, I'm not sure what type of breast cancer. I, I'm not sure if that came actually came out in the article, but if it's a hormonal based breast cancer, are we talking about melatonin as a regulator? Are, are you anywhere near answering any of those questions? So let's speak to cancer. Um, And I would say that the expert in that area is this longtime researcher in Italy. His name is Dr. Lassoni, and he's done some work with high doses of melatonin during chemotherapy in certain kinds of cancer. And I would say that uh, it's not specific to breast cancer. There wasn't any delineation saying that it has to be connected to estrogen receptivity or, or not. In fact, I think some of them were, were non-estrogen uh, related cancers. But what he found was that having melatonin during chemotherapy actually made the chemotherapy work better. And it was protecting the healthy cells and allowing the chemotherapy to have greater effect on the cancer cells. So, and, and those doses are much higher. You know, I, I think it's, it is interesting, um, you know, there again, a lot of different cancers have been looked at. I know um, breast cancer, if we think of uh, shift workers, mm-hmm. what we tend to find is that shift workers, because they're working at night and they're sleeping during the day, so their circadian rhythm is completely topsy-turvy, that they have increased risk for certain chronic diseases. And cancer is definitely one that is being looked at, right? Uh, looking at breast cancer risk, um, that seems to be particularly connected to that light exposure at night. So there may be a role for melatonin there. I think that there was just some more initial work looking at breast cancer and other kinds of cancers, but it wasn't like it was anything specific to estrogen per se. I think it was just melatonin overall and looking at, you know, how can we regulate these genes that are connected to the immune system? And the melatonin within the chemotherapy uh, protocol would be for its antioxidative value, I'm assuming? I'm assuming. Uh, but again, I think that there are a lot of things that we don't understand about melatonin's actions. You know, again, it's mm-hmm. uh, active in the mitochondria, and it's which is the metabolic cycles. And we know that cancer is connected to metabolic cycles, right? Which is mm-hmm. why, you know, people start to think about a ketogenic diet or intermittent fasting with certain types of cancers. You know, you were asking about PCOS, and we know that there's an interplay with insulin sensitivity and melatonin. Uh, depending on the gene variant and and what people are displaying. But yeah, and and we know that insulin, cortisol, glucose, they're all connected into 
cancer uh, and risk for cancer. So yes, I don't think we know why or how it's working exactly. We just know that there's there are about three decades worth of literature to support using high-dose supplementation of melatonin in certain cancers for short-term use. I'm not talking about long-term use. You know, we're, we're missing some of this data where people take melatonin at high doses for a long period of time that has not been done, to, mm-hmm. to the best of my knowledge anyway, in doing this review article. That's very interesting. I think we're going to take a quick break here. Stick with us, everybody. We're going to talk about supplementation of melatonin, the different types. And I really want to talk about the connection or the interplay between vitamin D or whatever the, whatever it is, the interplay between vitamin D and melatonin. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Put the heavy on me Woke up and I'm feeling lonely This world got a way of showing me Some days it'll lift you up Some days it'll call you bluff Man, most of my days I ain't got enough And all I know Is you're my only
You are listening to The Health Hub, here on Radio Maria Canada. A Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking with Dr. Deanna Minnick, and we're talking about melatonin. Um, the paper we'll cite at the end of the podcast and all the podcast notes, it really is a fascinating paper. Um, and as with good research, it probably leaves more questions on the table than it may answer. I don't know how you feel about that. There are just so many things that come out of this, uh, Dr. Minnick. But let's talk about the question that is brought up or the association that's brought up in your paper between vitamin D and melatonin. And I think in there, um, it, I think it says somewhere in there that this may, melatonin may be the new vitamin D when it comes to optimal levels and testing and protect protection for overall health. Mm, yeah. Well, and that's the title of the article is melatonin, the next vitamin D. Mm-hmm. And that was something we came to after Going through all of the research on melatonin, it started to look like vitamin D in so many ways. And vitamin D has been heralded as the sunlight vitamin, right? And even it's been referred to as a hormone because it has so many different effects and perhaps it's been improperly termed as a vitamin. Um, it's found in the skin, just like melatonin is found in the skin. And what's unique about vitamin D compared with melatonin um, is it's just kind of the opposite, right? So vitamin D needs ultraviolet light for its synthesis in the skin. So you've got pre-vitamin D in the skin, you go out in the sun, you get exposed, now you start to convert, you take that vitamin D, it starts to become activated in the body, travels throughout the body, and has all of these effects. Melatonin is just the opposite. It is responsive to light. It will not be produced with sunlight, but it will be produced in darkness. So it almost felt like as I was kind of reviewing it all and looking at, wow, vitamin D and melatonin, they have so many different um, functions and they seem to coincide. You know, they're needed for the immune system. We heard about both of them during the pandemic. They're anti-inflammatory. They're both kind of hormonal. They both are connected to the mitochondria and oh my gosh, they're connected to light. It's like vitamin D is the daytime and melatonin is the nighttime. And, uh, or at least they're, they're regulating those signals, right? Mm-hmm. And do they, they both cross the blood-brain barrier too. Oh, do they regulate each other? So melatonin can help with the um, the receptor for vitamin D on the cells. So I know that at least what I have seen on the melatonin side of things, that melatonin might actually help vitamin D to work better. Now, does it go the other way? Does vitamin D help melatonin to work better? I, I have not seen that exactly, but I'm sure that there is some interrelationship there, right? Because mm-hmm. they're both needed for immune activity. And what is also interesting, just to bring us back to the previous question you had, they both go down with age. You know, why is that? And why does our immune health tend to decline with age? You know, and again, are certain things just meant to come down with age for various reasons? But then we have to look at what are the repercussions. And it's not just one thing that comes down with age, right? We have (laughs) so many things that start to change with age. So it's like a web of many different things. 
Okay, well, then that leads us to probably the meat and potatoes of supplementation and trying to promote healthy levels of melatonin. Um, can you eat your way to good levels of melatonin? I wish you could. You know, me being a nutrition scientist, I always uh, lean on food first. Mm-hmm. And in fact, before I even wrote this article with my colleagues, what I would see on social media is like, oh, just have tart cherry juice before bedtime. And, you know, that's a great solution for insomnia. So I got curious about that. And in fact, what we did is we looked at um, some of the top plant food sources of melatonin. So many of them tend to be seeds or um, nuts, like sometimes pistachios are talked about as a source of melatonin. But when you actually start to crank the numbers and you start to add up how much is in a serving, it, it equates to, uh, you know, you'd have to take in about 50 pounds of cherries to hmm. come back to even a very modest dose of melatonin. So yes, melatonin is in plants and that's called plant melatonin or phytomelatonin. But the amounts are pretty minuscule for humans. It's like nanometers, um, I'm sorry, nanograms, picograms, which are, you know, um, very, very small amounts. So even if you were to take a a swig of tart cherry juice, like the best variety, uh, it's not necessarily going to get you there, especially if you're older. You know, if you're older and, you know, your levels are down and now you're you're in that place of needing replenishment, you know, it's not going to hurt. And tart cherry juice and some of these other plant foods are wonderful for their antioxidant effects. But I often think that, you know, people shouldn't be eating too much before bedtime. Mm -hmm. And with melatonin, it has a very short half-life. It has a half-life of about... 40 to 60 minutes and some people it's even less so that means that um you know if you're looking for that peak to kind of get you into that place of stimulating the the chronobiotic effects the sleep effects all of that you know having so much food before bedtime is probably not a a good idea especially so many calories in the case of something like cherries or nuts or you know Mm -hmm. I, i just don't it's not feasible but i do think it's important to be eating plant foods that aside aside from melatonin mm-hmm. i still Absolutely. think that eating fruits yeah. and vegetables is a really good idea oh 100 percent. we're not knocking them out of the water we just want to see yeah. the association which leaves lifestyle mm-hmm. uh as the next um pathway to creating melatonin or keeping levels up and with their association with the mitochondria more mitochondria creates more melatonin does that yes. matter Well, it does matter. You know, more mitochondria in general equates to better health. And so if you're exercising more, typically, and especially certain kinds of exercise, you tend to increase your mitochondrial reserves, right? Your mitochondria get better at cleaning up. Mm -hmm. Uh, They become more efficient. It's a good thing to have those efficient mitochondria. So if you've got efficient mitochondria, chances are you're going to have these levels of melatonin that are available. And what the reason... As far as I can understand, the reason why melatonin is found in such high concentration in the mitochondria is because if you think of the mitochondria as 
it's the place where you go rancid, right? It's like churning out all these reactive oxygen species because it's a metabolic hub. You've got that electron transport chain. You're just churning out all these reactive compounds. It's a really good thing that melatonin is high in mitochondria in order to quell those oxidative bursts and prevent that rancidity or that aging process. So yes, um, the, the mitochondria preferentially will take up melatonin. It's like your body wants to have that level of protection, right? And with melatonin being an excellent scavenger of um, free radicals, especially the phytomelatonin. There was a a study, a head-to-head study with synthetic melatonin and phytomelatonin. And it was shown that there was... uh, you know, much greater scavenging of free radicals just with the uh, the plant-based melatonin because there are other things in it. So, yes, you know, to your question, what can we do in terms of lifestyle? We, you know, we all of the things that we do would cultivate healthier melatonin. But, you know, sometimes we do need a little bit more help. True enough. And so does that mean that you think we should all be supplementing as we age? Is this is one of those, get your levels checked, see where they should, and what are healthy levels? Is there a number? Mm. Well, you know, certain labs have certain ranges for that, depending on if you're measuring urine, plasma, or uh, saliva. So you have to look at that. Um, sometimes you have to take consecutive levels of melatonin to kind of see the pattern. So you can't just do kind of like a I don't think it's it's very effective or okay. informative just to do it once, right? And I think you have to first start out looking at a person's lifestyle. What can they do? But let's just say that somebody is a shift worker. They're a nurse who works evening shifts and, um, you know, they're perimenopausal. They've got some changes in hormones. Maybe there is a uh, an increased risk for cancer in the family. You know, there might be certain targeted situations where it's a really good idea if you have a lifestyle where you can't override that signal. Like you just can't stop working and, and that is what you have to do, right? Uh, you know, I think about people in the mining industry who are in darkness during the day. You know, there are certain of these professions where people are in darkness when they really should be in light. And with most people being indoors and subject to a lot of this artificial blue light, I mean, you know, we, we have to be thinking about that. So, yeah. And I also jet lag, you know, I, where I use it most, I mean, I'm an excellent sleeper, but I am almost 52 and I am thinking about my overall hormones <laughs> <laughs> and I am thinking about my aging process. Uh, currently, the way I use melatonin is for jet lag. And what that helps me to do, and I just got back from, I was in Cyprus and in London in October with my husband and I did take it. And, you know, what it helped me to do was just to recalibrate my circadian rhythm when I got there. So Mm -hmm. you tend to take a higher dose when you're using it for jet lag, because it's almost like you got to push that reset button now much more. But when you're a shift worker, you know, that's like an ongoing maintenance, very low physiologic dose so that your body can better acclimate to that circadian rhythm imbalance. So we need to go to a practitioner who understands this. That's yeah, that's, that's I, a big takeaway. I think, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm 
always an advocate of understanding your personalized needs because as you and I were talking about, everybody has a different response to different things, right? Mm -hmm. So melatonin is one of those things where people can have a different response. Like I've talked with people and they say, well, Deanna, I didn't do so well on melatonin. So then I start to ask them, well, what were the situations in which you took the melatonin? Like I was even... I was even a podcast guest on uh, Dr. Perlmutter's show, and he was saying how he took it, and then he didn't have a good result. But then he worked out later that it wasn't the melatonin. It was that he was eating too close to bedtime. So, like, you have to look at those kinds of things. Like, is it something that you did separate from the melatonin use? Was it perhaps number two? Was it the kind of melatonin that you took? What was the dose? I think people take too much. The reason why I like phytomelatonin and the kind of plant melatonin that I choose to take is because it's a very low dose. It's 0.3 milligrams, which coincides with that replenishment level that we lose with age. So it's not some of these high doses like five milligrams, 10 milligrams, 20 (laughs) milligrams. It's super teeny tiny because my body in general is very sensitive. And with the plant melatonin, I'm getting things like chlorophyll, beta carotene, lutein. I'm getting other things in there that are potentiating that bioidentical melatonin, right? So I'm getting better anti-inflammatory activity, better free radical scavenging, just overall, you know, it's, it's how the plant behaves in nature in its whole form. It's like mm-hmm. taking that plant as a food rather than as an extract because the plant melatonin that I take is not an extract. It's actually plant that was optimized in its growing situation to produce melatonin at certain levels and that was done naturally and then that plant was taken and then concentrated so there's no extract going on here it's it's simply taking rice alfalfa and chlorella all plants and then um you know, it's it's a small 0.3 milligram dose. And it, you know, that's where I feel comfortable. Everybody mm-hmm. has to be evaluated differently. So I, I ask people, okay, what else did you do? What kind of form of melatonin? How much did you take? What time did you take it? Because if you're a person who, um, let's say that you have kind of a, a like it takes a while for you to fall asleep, you know, you might need to take melatonin, um, you know, a little bit earlier, you know, to kind of get that that circadian rhythm going. Now, for some people, they have um, certain genes, and one of them is the same gene that metabolizes caffeine. So let me just ask you, Kathy, how do you deal with coffee? Do you drink coffee? I do. Okay. How, are you a person? Do you have like no issue with coffee? Like you don't get wired? You I don't. don't. Get I have no issue with coffee. No. Okay. So that tells me a lot right there because I'm actually the same way. Like I could have a double espresso at 9 p.m. and still go to bed by 9.30. No, mm-hmm. it will not affect me. So one of the things that I learned, because one of the areas that I work in is detoxification. So looking at environmental toxins. And one of the things that we know is that people who are fast metabolizers of caffeine are going to be fast metabolizers of melatonin because melatonin is, um, it goes through the same metabolic detoxification process that caffeine does. And so it's using that same enzyme. So are fast metabolizers the ones that get wired? They might, well, it'll, it'll go through the body quicker. So okay. then you might be more awake because then it's like, oh, your body received the signal of melatonin oh, okay. and then it kicked down, right? Got it. So I would be trying with somebody like you and like me, 
you know, we have to kind of find the optimal way, first of all, the optimal product, the optimal dose, the optimal time to take it. And, you know, it it might be better to have a little bit of a higher dose since, you know, your half-life might be exhausted sooner than somebody else's. But, you know, again, there's a lot of nuance there in terms Mm -hmm. of like all those different questions. Is there a danger of taking a hormone as a supplement? Well, um, so many people have taken, so let's just think of, uh, you know, orally as a supplement. Um, I don't know if there's a danger per se. Um, Melatonin has been found to be relatively safe for short-term use, even at higher doses. Now, and we're not saying like high dose for a long period of time, like that hasn't been looked at to the best of my knowledge. But looking at short-term use, even of high doses, tend to be relatively safe. And the question I always get is whether or not that's going to change people's production of that enzyme. And we don't tend to see that. There were, I think it was about four or five different studies where the researchers set out to answer that question. So they expressly designed the study to see whether or not endogenous production of melatonin would be blunted by taking supplements. And they took a variety of different doses in in these various studies, but essentially the takeaway was no, uh, you are not impacting. Now, again, this is with more short-term use. There's no impact to endogenous melatonin production. In the cancer studies as well, with Dr. Lasoni's group, there was never a mention that there were um, any kind of issues there with endogenous production. Um, You know, they didn't set out to look at that specifically, but still um, they didn't report any type of uh, issues that I could see. But yeah, I mean, I think we have to constantly evaluate whether or not something is good for us. um, What are the effects? And, but is it dangerous? You know, no, I, I, depends on the dose. It depends on the duration. It depends on the person, but I don't see melatonin as dangerous. In fact, I see melatonin as, you know, it's one of the the compounds that has been part of nature for a long time. And it's been suggested that it's part of how we've been able to survive uh, in our environments with all of the toxic stressors over, over the years. And in fact, that was part of my interest too, is wow, could melatonin actually be helpful for toxic burden? Uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a little bit of literature on that. We did report on that in the article that, yes, there might be some indication where um, it might be able to be helpful. It can mitigate some oxidative stress from things like bisphenol A. You know, there was a preliminary study. There was also something, I want to mention this because this is really of interest, um, at least for me. You know, when we sleep and we start to produce... um, more of those amyloid beta metabolites Mm -hmm. in what's called the glymphatic fluid, right? So like the brain does its own detoxification when we're sleeping at night. And this glymphatic fluid, what the um, animal studies are starting to suggest, now we don't have human studies on this and it's hard to study this in humans anyway, but that um, melatonin is found in that glymphatic fluid and it seems to be regulating the removal of those toxic metabolites, or at least playing a role in some way. So Mm. that was of interest for me, again, because my eye is always on environmental toxins. How do we reduce toxic loads? So I I bet we're going to see more on that because 
sleep, lymphatic fluid. Right, um, the connection that nighttime, there. Yeah, it's so big right now. So we'll have to stay uh, on the pulse of what, what we've learned there. It's It's just such a fascinating topic. Now, before we jump here, you talk about a plant-based supplement. Is that something that's readily available to everybody or, or is that something that you can tell us about the name of it? Yeah, I can. So the one that I was talking about, uh, the plant melatonin, it's the commercial name. And I work with this company. Um, the company is called Symphony Natural Health. And the product, the, the actual brand is Herbatonin. I guess in, in Canada it would be Herbatonin. Uh, <laughs> the H, no, the I, H you is- know what? Now, now you've got me thinking. I think I would have said herb. Now I'm going to say herb. <laughs> okay. Herbatonin. Now I wonder if that's even, but okay. So first steps though, is go to a practitioner who knows what they're doing. I don't want to just send somebody out yeah, these people out just to, to run and get a supplement, but um, good to know because you know, a lot of people don't even realize where their supplements come from. So, uh, so many so, so many takeaways from this. I really, really do appreciate you coming and sharing this knowledge. I know how busy you are, but it's just such a fascinating topic. And when I saw all the connections and all the information in the article, I thought, oh, we just we just need to share this. So I, I really do appreciate you coming on the show today. Oh, so appreciate it, Kathy. And, you know, I just like you said before, you know, this is an evolving journey through science, right? Do we feel like we have everything we need on melatonin? And, you know, that 40-page article is telling it all? No. I mean, you know, with science, I, I feel like the book is never done. It's mm-hmm. always an ongoing journey. So I'm excited to continue to monitor and see what else we learn. Well, thank you for the work you do, really, because what you're doing is just broadening people's health. And, you know, I don't think that we give the scientists, the researchers, people like you enough credit because, you know, these first steps are are not even first steps. I mean, this is an in-depth paper um, and it's just it's just so pushing health forward. And I, I, I do appreciate it personally. And I know everybody appreciates it as well. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Oh, our pleasure. Everybody will talk to you next week on The Health Hub. Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.